Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. I'm the dandy highwayman, whom you're too scared to mention. I spend my cash on looking flash and grabbing your attention. Hello everybody and welcome to Condensed Histories. I'm Jem Daduchu. Yes, that's right. We're into the world of the new romantics of the 1980s. Specifically, about a year ago, I did a podcast taking hip-hop and showing you how it shares DNA with the likes of Chaucer and Dickens, revealing, if you like, social history in a catchy way. What I'm doing this time round is I'm actually taking just one song. If you don't recognise those lyrics I started off with, this is Stand and Deliver by Adam and the Ants. And therefore, what we're going to go into is, of course, highwaymen, banditry, executions, and a little bit on how the new romantics were emphasis on the new rather than the romantic. Let's explain to our younger viewers. Basically, I guess if you're my age, let's say if you're over 40, so 40 to 55, uh, if you're in that sweet spot, then you know all about the New Romantics, and I don't care where you were in the world, you would have heard of Adam and the Ants, but he wasn't one of those names that has sort of echoed through the years. Something like Duran Duran and loads of other ones. My mind has now gone blank on every other 80s act around. But yeah, look, you know who I'm talking about. And so, look, there are loads of bands from the 80s that are still listened to and considered sort of great acts. I'm going to mention Duran Duran again. I mean, they're just so many great hits. They very much emphasize their time and, you know, and place, as it were. But, you know, they're really good musicians. And there were sort of more novelty acts. I'm thinking something like Boy George, but, you know, he sort of evolved into something more worthwhile. But with Adam and the Ants, they're considered one-hit wonders, which isn't fair. They had a number of, of hits. And Adam Ant himself, originally it was Adam and the Ants, 
but he then became Adam Ant and sort of went and did his own thing. Now, he himself's quite a, quite an interesting chap. His mother was the cleaner for Paul McCartney. And as a young man, he used to earn money on the side walking the dogs of Paul McCartney. So he's got DNA with some great music already there. But Adam himself in the 90s, he suffers with some sort of like mental health issues. And that's never going to help you if you're a sort of performer as well. As I understand it's nowadays, he's very much got it under control and he, he does sort of like limited performances. But there are so many great artists who have their own personal demons, their, their own problems, and they give you their all in their movies, videos, you know, music, etc. But they are struggling, like most human beings, in their private lives. And it seems that Adam's had it worse than most. So, look, if you ever hear this podcast, this is a fan saying, you know, you meant a lot to me as I was growing up. And I, I even got your comeback album, which uh, had that great video with this microphone on the sort of the pivot which you sort of flicking around. Jem likes you and I, I wish you just all, all the happiness that you can have because you gave me lots as, as a kid. Now, saying that though, this is where, as revealing the real history behind dot dot dot, if you haven't seen the video of Stand and Deliver... I recommend you do. So if you're like a 15-year-old listening to this going, who is this guy? What is this? Type into YouTube, Adam and the Ants stand and deliver. You'll get there. You'll get the video and... I think it holds up relatively well in the sense that it had relatively large production values. It's also got a very young Amanda Donoghue in it. It looks good to this day, but of course it looks very much of its time. And what you have to understand is, in the sort of late 70s, 80s and 90s, one of the ways you sold a big hit was the video. It was the thing that everybody talked about. This is pre-YouTube, so you can just watch it whenever you wanted to. So you would tune into Top of the Pops and you would be itching to see what the new tune and what the, you know, what the, what the cool video went with it. You get something like Sledgehammer, which is an amazing song, but just one of the greatest videos of all time. It's regularly sort of like the top five greatest videos of all time. Just so much effort went into that video that it's, it's breathtaking to this day. And so if you can imagine that you didn't just have automatic access to any of these videos, you had to wait to maybe the chart show on Saturdays or Top of the Pops on a Thursday or, you know, wherever you consume music on normal TV. Obviously, you then got MTV. MTV now shows very few music videos. It's lots of reality TV shows. But in its heyday in the 80s, it was just, hey, you love that new Michael Jackson video? In Thriller, in a way, saved MTV. And these artists didn't just have to create great music, they also had to create a compelling, like, three, four minute story to go with that. And you know, there are loads of modern day film directors who cut their teeth on videos. Adam and the Ants, Stand and Deliver. It's certainly not the first video, but it's one of the early big epic narrative videos, which I guess now you can see was largely filmed in something like Richmond Park, and they went down to the local fancy dress store and just dragged out a load of stuff. Yes, there were far more expensive, slicker videos later on, but it was so exciting for the time. 
But what I'm going to do is I'm going to address the elephant in the room. The way Adam looks, okay, first of all, he's kind of got this Native American war paint stripe across his face. Nowadays, we'd call that cultural appropriation. That would have made him a pariah on Twitter for like 48 hours. But in the 1980s, we just thought it looked cool. Okay, fine. But he's wearing a tricorn hat, which, to be fair, a lot of the classic highwaymen would have worn. The the classic era of highwaymen was basically from the Civil War era, so sort of round about the sort of 1650s up to the reign of Queen Anne. That's The Favourite, the movie The Favourite, and indeed it does have a highwayman in it briefly at the beginning. And so you've got this, let's call it 50-year period from the mid-1600s to the very early 1700s which was the golden age of highwaymen, which incidentally also overlaps the, the golden age of piracy, which I'm not talking about here. That's going to be a whole other podcast at some point. Yes, I will, of course, be comparing it to the Pirates of the Caribbean. But I guess a little teaser for that, sort of like linking that a little bit, is the idea of banditry, the idea of stopping people on road networks certainly wasn't an English invention. It certainly wasn't exclusive to the post-Civil War era of England. It goes way back. You know, we, we have... We have chronicles and we have sort of historical texts that talk about this problem all over the world. Let's face it, the road network of planet Earth, even a good one like the Inca one or indeed the Roman one, even those didn't have local police constables every hundred yards or something like that, okay? The roads, even if they were good roads, would lead you through forests or kind of, you know, quiet little bits of countryside. And yeah, all you needed was a local who understood that every now and then rich passengers would be traveling between A and B and stop these people in the middle of nowhere, whip out a sword or a knife or a a club, threaten them with some violence, but not actually do any of the violence. You, the threat of violence alone in the middle of nowhere would be enough to get people to hand over their goods, and then you disappear into the countryside. Any nation with poor people and rich people, where the rich people might be carrying their, their richnesses into areas where they can't be de easily defended, doesn't take a genius to work out, that's something that could lead to crime. And so what we've got with Stand and Deliver is it's going for the classic era. But as I've already mentioned, he looks unique. He has the tricorn hat, which would be absolutely suitable for the era. He has the Indian or Native American war paint, which is, I guess, technically appropriate for the era, but there is no English highwayman who did that. And then he's got the buttoned-up jacket with all the brocade on it. Things like that sort of might have, could have existed in the early 1700s, but that one is clearly a more modern one. Though that amount of sort of pattern work on the front of the jacket is sort of like mid-1800s onwards. I mean, he probably went to a second-hand store and bought a dress uniform that was current in the 1980s, but those ones all hark back to the, to the 1800s. Saddle Prince George's horse. Oh, sir, you're not going to become a highwayman, are you? 
No, I'm auditioning for the part of Arnold the Bat in Sheridan's new comedy. Oh, he's also wearing leather trousers and sort of thigh-high boots. Boots could be from any era. Leather trousers. People think that they're super old, but actually, you know, leathers are really rub. It's great for a coat. It's great for a jacket. It's great for something to go over your clothes. Leather is never good against your own body. It's cold and clammy and it creaks and it, you can get very sweaty in there. It's, it is something that has been used as workwear. You know, the leather apron is a classic thing for a workman or a butcher, but just generally wearing leather trousers, that is kind of more a sort of post-World War II fashion statement than anything else. Uh, oh, Plus, I can't forget, he's wearing lip gloss, a little bit of sort of makeup too. If you look at the outfits of everybody else, of the rest of the band, the ants, as it were, they very much look new romantic. And if you don't know what new romantic is, it's basically a mishmash of old-fashioned outfits, as I've just described. There were a lot of beauty spots going on in the early 80s, which would have not looked out of place in the court of, let's say, Louis XV, okay? But although this is, if you like, riffing on old stuff, there were no rules about looking historically accurate, and if I could get some wicked eyeliner, which I guess is more ancient Egyptian than anything else, you had people with bleached blonde hair and all this kind of stuff. Very 80s, in a way, by taking bits of lots of different older eras and mushing them together, you now have something that's definitively of its time, which I find fascinating. So this video, if you like, is, is basically a time capsule of what it was like listening to music in the 1980s. But of course, it's going into the darker side of talking about highwaymen. And let's talk about the most famous highwayman of all time, and that's Dick Turpin. Dick Turpin is somebody who immediately breaks all the rules I've just told you. I said, you know, from the 1660s, 1650s, up to the reign of Queen Anne. You know, she died in sort of about 1714. And so at that time, Dick Turpin was a boy. And really his activities happened in the 1730s. And he was eventually captured and executed in 1739. He was hanged. But if you like, Dick Turpin is a great example of the highwaymen because what they were, were a scourge. These were people who threatened violence to extract money from people. There's nothing nice about that. But Dick Turpin, like a whole bunch of other highwaymen, was seen as kind of a, a dangerous outlaw. And once again, we can start riffing on the whole Robin Hood thing. And as I mentioned, you know, you, you could argue highwaymen, bit like Bonnie and Clyde. I've done a podcast on that as well. My favourite's the shadow. What a man. They say he's halfway to being the new Robin Hood. Why only halfway? Well, he steals from the rich, but he hasn't got round to giving it to the poor. <laughs> so the point that keeps cropping up again and again, doesn't matter which time frame, doesn't matter which country, but if you do crime the right way, you're seen weirdly as a good guy, in inverted commas. And, and what we actually historically know about Dick Turpin is much thinner than all the legends about Dick Turpin. For example, there's the famous dash from London to York, which we now know Dick Turpin didn't do even. That, that was done by a highwayman 50 years earlier. So you just get 
people stirring the pot, spreading rumour. I've heard this about him. And the, the idea of the gentleman robber doesn't come from Robin Hood. He was just, you know, the idea of stealing from the rich and giving it to the poor and pushing against unfair systems. That was that legend. But here we've got the idea of somebody who is sort of like devilishly handsome and impeccably well behaved and, you know, perhaps flirts with the lady as he takes her gold chain from her neck and she quite likes the thrill of it and all this kind of stuff. Hashtag me too. But none of this is really true. And, and a lot of the things that are associated with these highwaymen, if you then start digging into it, it basically people just come back to the point that it's all made up. It's all just folklore. And that's the problem. There is very little sort of actual historiosity to the fact that we can say little more than we know he robbed people and he was eventually caught and eventually executed for his crimes. But after that, all these people love to spread a little bit of mystery about themselves. I wanted to mention Claude Duval and how he's also linked to this problem of what do we know? versus what are the rumours and folklore around him. So Claude Duval, I think you can work out from the name, was French originally, but he moved over to Britain and he, uh, he was actually a stable boy for a time, but then he decided to become a highwayman. And he was very much seen as one of these gentleman highwaymen. In fact, there was a rumour that he never used any violence ever and his reputation was basically being a real charmer. In the last one, I mentioned how Dick Turpin might have been seen as this gentleman thief, as it were. But you could say that uh, Claude absolutely trumps Dick Turpin over that reputation. He was kind of seen as a heartthrob at his time. And yet, there is absolutely no hard evidence of this whatsoever. Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does, they charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. 
Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. But what we do know, what we, we can absolutely say, is that in the case of Claude Duval, we know that he never killed anybody, but he was tried and he was found guilty on six counts of highway robbery, of which the crime for any one of those is hanging. Now, just to be clear on this one, because I had to be taught this one, nobody was ever hung. People were hanged. That's the correct past tense. The, the phrase is, meat is hung, men are hanged. And let's talk a little bit about executions and public executions, and specifically the world of hanging. Now, what I find fascinating is an awful lot of executions happened, well, these people needed to be in areas where there was definitely going to be passing traffic. I mean, no disrespect to, let's say, Rill in North Wales. Uh, it's a rugged and beautiful place, but it's very sparse population. It isn't really on the way to and from two very rich areas. So if you were a highwayman who decided to set up in Rill, you'd never get caught, but also you'd never catch anything either. So what a lot of these highwaymen were, were basically hanging around was London. And they were hanging around on the peripheries of London. London. And so one of the quickest places to do is take them to the Middlesex hanging area, which was called Tyburn. Where is this rather remote execution area? Well, it was comfortably outside of London. Nowadays, it's what we call Marble Arch. It shows you how much London has grown, that there was a time when Marble Arch was basically seen as the middle of nowhere, a sleepy little forested area near the town of London. How weird is that as an explanation? And indeed, kind of where Edgware Road, Bayswater Road and Oxford Street, where they all kind of converge on that sort of cross section, there's a little plaque for the Tyburn tree. Now, it might have originally been a tree, but it was then definitely set up as a formal scaffolding for, maybe the tree was chopped down and turned into the scaffolding, we don't know, but formal scaffolding for the hanging of people, for, for executions. And the, the world of executions is a fascinating one. Don't start thinking that I'm, I'm sort of like a, a sick puppy at this point, but killing somebody, there is, there is, there's just no more intense action than that. And it is weird that if you kill somebody in some countries, the punishment for that is you yourself get killed. But if we're saying that that is something so horrible that you must be, in essence, deleted from society, well, the person doing the execution, surely they should be executed too, because we're saying that human life is sacred and it should never be snuffed out and the punishment should be severe. So there is always fundamentally a, a twist to all of this. And what's interesting is that when it comes to execution, different types of executions meant different things. I'm going to very briefly jump into about as far away as you can get from the hanging of highwaymen in England in the 17th century to what happened to the last caliph of Baghdad when the Mongols turned up. Now, 
I'm going to save most of this story. I'm going to try and find a time to tell you, if you like, the full story of the Mongols in, in some other podcast. I haven't worked that one out yet. But in 1258, Baghdad was the capital of the Islamic Caliphate. And I know that word is sort of dripping with sort of modern day connotations, but this was the legitimate religious leader of Islam. And he basically picked a fight with the Mongols, never a good idea. He decided to not call on the Islamic world to protect Baghdad, not a good idea. He didn't bother spending any time enhancing the walls of Baghdad, again not a good idea. I think you can see where this is going. The Mongols got in and slaughtered everybody. But the Mongols, even the Mongols, had rules, and they believed that no royal blood should be spilt. So they were never going to chop his head off. They were never going to chop in little pieces or butcher him the way they did the other occupants of Baghdad. No, they absolutely wanted to kill him, but they also wanted to follow the traditions that they held dear to themselves. This is once again an example of a shamanistic or pagan people who take their religion seriously. Just because they're not monotheistic, just because they don't follow a religion you've never heard of, does not mean that they didn't take it seriously. And that's something else that's quite interesting in history. So going back to how executions tell you something about the culture, and the, almost the story of the person being executed. Well, in this case, what they did to ensure that none of his royal blood was spilt on the ground, they rolled him up into a carpet and then charged their cavalry over him. He was basically kicked to death and stamped into a pulp. So, yeah, he died. He died horribly. I guess if you have a choice between that and just quickly having your head chopped off, you'd probably go for the the head option. But there we go. And as I've mentioned in the past, and this is sort of now linking to the kind of era of of highwaymen, when Charles I was executed, it was in January and it was cold, and he asked for a second shirt because he didn't want people to confuse with his body shivering from the cold with him being nervous about his execution. And having your head cut off was very much something for noble men and women or for royalty, particularly in England. And weirdly, you were expected to pay your executioner. Now, this is <laughs> this is one of the weirdest, most counterintuitive things I ever learnt in history. But when you start thinking about it, it kind of makes sense. If there's one job you don't want them to do half-heartedly, it's take your head off cleanly. In the case of Mary, Queen of Scots, for example, it took three swings to fully remove her head. There was another instance, I'm afraid I can't remember who this was, where the axeman was a bit nervous and a bit clumsy. And so the first thing that happened is the, the axe didn't come down sort of sharp, sharp end here, it actually came down sort of flat side. So what they did is accidentally sort of smack really hard a piece of metal into their, the back of their neck, which would have been incredibly painful, but in no way killed them. And it took a few more swings to actually finish the job. Nice. So the reason why you want to pay your axeman, the way you want to pay your executioner, is that they do it once and they do it right, okay? However, as I said, that's a status thing. And then we come to hangings, which was very much for everybody else. And when you see somebody standing on a trapdoor and they've got the noose around their neck and then they pull the lever, the trapdoor opens and they drop. That's very much a late 19th century 
invention. I actually have done a whole article about this, about the man who invented it, who was so appalled at the normal way that you hang people that he wanted to come up with something more humane. So yes, the article's called The Most Humane Hangman in History. If you really want to read that one, it's in my collection of weird and wonderful historical facts called Forgotten History, available now wherever you want to sort of buy books by Jem Daduchu. So if, if you see something from, let's say, the American Civil War and somebody is put through the trapdoor, that's historically inaccurate. Because at the time of Dick Turpin, at the time of the Tyburn Tree, what happened was you were basically tied up, noose around your neck, probably standing on some a block or something like that, and they kick the block out from under you, which means you don't drop down, which snaps your neck and basically kills you instantly what happens is you're then just swinging this is where you get some euphemisms if somebody's being executed they might be taking a trip to Tyburn because that's what Tyburn was famous for and as they were slowly asphyxiated as the weight of their body was pulling down on their neck the strangulation could take depending on the situation it could take minutes sometimes hours it did just depend on the thickness on their neck and things like that one of the reasons why they or most prisoners had their hands tied behind their backs was again an attempt at mercy because it would be more than natural to reach up and try and hold on and and stop yourself from being strangled but of course at some point your your strength would give up and and now you've got somebody sort of like thrashing around for hours, okay? But when these people were being strangled, obviously their bodies would spasm. It was horrible, which is why rather gruesomely, another euphemism for being executed was doing the Tyburn dance as these hanged individuals. Sorry, yes, as these hanged individuals, not hung. Yes, got to get that right. People were sort of like sort of thrashing around. But the weird thing is, some entrepreneur actually bought and erected a stand and charged a fee for people to come and see the executions, all the hangings. And public execution was hugely popular. It wasn't something unique to the French Revolution, where the revolutionaries would be cheering and jeering at all the aristocracy having their heads cut off in the guillotine. A guillotine again was invented to create something that mercifully got you get dead quickly. That's the theory anyway. But yes, it wasn't just something to do with the revolution. It was a day out for the family. An example, going back to Charles I again, when he died, there's the spray of blood. People were trying to sort of like mop it up as a good luck charm in their handkerchiefs and things like this. Children were there, for heaven's sakes. I mean, if you think about nowadays how much we abhor violence, families would actively have a day out and bring food to the executions. And so when we start talking about how toxic social media is, I guess when you start looking at history, we shouldn't be surprised. Human beings, when they're allowed to be terrible, can be really terrible. At least, I guess, and this is in no way defending trolls on social media, but at least the one thing they don't do is actually kill people. But yeah, it is kind of a depressing part of life. And most countries sort of banned public execution in the 1800s and, and to this day. And what I find fascinating is in Britain, we did have the death penalty up until the 1950s, 1960s, but eventually it was done behind closed doors. And I think at that point we took it more seriously. But now bringing it all the way back to highwaymen, the reason why we know about these highwaymen is because they were caught and they were executed. And interestingly, they knew that their legend would grow if they went up to the Tyburn gallows and did so in good humour. 
if they joked with the audience, if they gave everybody a good spectacle, they knew that the sort of the word would spread. That ah,、oh, you know that Dick Turpin, he was such a nice guy. Oh, he made us laugh die, be- shortly before he died before my eyes. And if you're sit- sitting there thinking or standing or doing whatever you're doing, if you're going, this is awful. Yeah, it really is. But it does show you the dark side of history. And if you like, none of this is is kings and queens type stuff. I, yes, I've mentioned a few of them, but you know, executions happened all the time. And I, I guess it's tempting to say that you know sometimes innocent people were killed. And you're you're right, they they absolutely were. But with these highwaymen. There could be no doubt they were they were charged on multiple counts. You know, eyewitness testimony is used to this day, and that's what they had. They didn't have fingerprint and forensics. That's a given. But also, sometimes these people confessed without any any torture or anything like that because they just knew it was their time, basically. So that's you know kind of what happened in the West. But let's now flip it over to the East. Because, as I said, banditry happened all over the world in all ages and eras. But what I find fascinating is that kind of almost anything that happens in the West, the East then takes it and really rides with it. And in the case of China, when there were times of civil war, you would get these sort of bandit princes, entire territories, literally millions of people would at first. Be terrorized by bandits, and then those bandits would organize, and then those bandits would create sort of small battalion sizes of of soldiers, and then they would ultimately be generals, and then they ultimately become warlords. Sometimes these warlords would fight with each other, and occasionally even create brand new dynasties of the Chinese imperial line. And so you get the the kind of the ultimate. Bandits over there, where you could literally go from robbing people on highways to ultimately, you know, maybe not an emperor, but certainly a warlord in charge of an area the size of Britain, with the population of Britain being fabulously wealthy, where your actual days of physical violence are long past you, and you don't have an army to do those sorts of things, and there are entire eras of basic anarchy. In China, where there's just a string of warlords, the the emperor is in power in all but name, but the real power lies in the regions, and this goes way back. You've got the you know, the era of the Seven Kingdoms, an incredibly romantic period in in Chinese literature, and this is an era basically of constant civil war. And if you like, it's a slightly ironic thing because China today, under the Communist Party, wants to keep talking about how homogenized it is, how it is a a one country, and we won't allow deviation. And oh, you're sort of thinking about being independent or wanting to show your own culture, not allowed. And yet they all love the era of the Seven Kingdoms, and they're kind of seen as well. They're, they're all basically the same. These Uh, these different territories happily fought against each other all the time, and they didn't consider themselves as one big happy family. That's why it was. <laughs> that's why they fought against them. That's why they had the Seven Kingdoms, for heaven's sakes. But yes, you get so many of these sort of people who started off in. You know, I, I guess when you look at any line of kings, any line of emperors. The person who started it all was a very big, scary person with a very big weapon who happened to be meaner and nastier than anybody else. And then over the ge- generations, that sort of turned into something far more noble. And do you know what? 
I don't think I can get a better ending. We started with Stand and Deliver, just one new romantic song, and then we've come to the fallacy of royal dynasties. I think that's pretty good. Thanks for listening. It's always worth pointing out, if you like this, do click to subscribe, do spread the word, do give us a review. Thank you very much for listening. More podcasting goodness heading your way soon. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com.